Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we answer questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. If you have a question, you can submit it in the comments section. Just put the word question or a cue in front of it, write out your question, make sure it makes sense, reread it a couple of times, add any Bible references you've got, uh, we'll be able to look them up. I wanted to start today by talking about the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, It seems to be everywhere today. I wasn't planning on going to see the movie, but we went to go see it on Friday night. One of the reasons that we went is because we heard of all of the dust up in the media about how bad this movie was and that it was backing QAnon conspiracies. Um, I had no idea what that was, so I had to take time to even look up what it was. Uh, So once that happened, and several people told me that the movie was good, then my wife suggested that we would go, and we went. Uh, When we got there, the trailers played, but when it came time to play the movie, the lights came on, and the movie didn't come on. And finally, a couple people got up and, and left, and then I went down, I looked for someone, told someone that the movie didn't start, and they said somebody was already on it. We went back, and it took about 15 minutes, and, and finally, the movie started. Now, I didn't think anything about this until later on, when I started hearing other people talking about the air conditioning being off and other things on it. Now, I don't know whether or not movie theaters were trying to suppress the sound of freedom. I just thought it was interesting that people were talking about that happening, and something like that actually happened to me. And I'll also tell you something else that I find interesting about it is the movie is about child trafficking and rescuing, I think, 123 children uh, in the course of um, of Tim Ballard's uh, work in Columbia, rescuing two children specifically. And there is some drama, um, some some uh, dramatization of the basic true story which um, I wanted to read articles today on different groups or or different articles that said that this was bad. And I found one on Rolling Stones uh, that was talking about why it was bad. And they were talking about the exaggeration of the movie. Um, But we all know that movies that are made, that are based on a true story, have things that are added to them in order to, to make them more exciting. So no one expects a movie that is based on a true story to be 100% correct. But the question that I had is, where was the exaggeration that was connected to QAnon at all? There were some statistics at the end of the movie that had been questioned, and this article on questioning them, like I said, this is from the Rolling Stones, said that the U.S. Department of reports that 600 to 800,000 people are trafficked across international borders per year. About 50% of these are children. So they're trying to fight against the numbers, I guess, that were at the end of the movie about how many people were trafficked or how much money is made by it. But then they use 600 to 800,000 being across international borders, which doesn't even include people who aren't brought across international borders. And when you get down a little bit further, another objection that they had, which I found interesting, was this, um, a reporter from Counter-Trafficking Data um, Collaborative states that 67% of the children trafficked are between 15 and 17. So this is a reason that they thought the movie was bad, because 67% of, of children that are in trafficking are adolescents, 15 to 17, which leaves 33% that are children of their, their own statistics, between 600 and 800,000 are, are brought across international lines to do this every year. So 33% of them. So it's hundreds of thousands of kids that are being trafficked by their own numbers. And they have a movie that comes out that doesn't have any of the, the QAnon kind of crazy stuff about kids being kidnapped to be eaten or used for their adrenaline or these kind of things that, that QAnon supposedly says. And um, I tried to look for some of that. Uh, maybe there's some of that more extreme stuff that's out there. And I'm not saying that QAnon is good in any way, shape, or form. I don't know anything about it. I wouldn't even have, have gone to the movie if it wasn't for them saying that. And I think that's exactly what's happened is this is bringing a lot of information uh, to this topic, which is so incredibly tragic that, that 
children are being trafficked for pedophiles. It is so incredibly tragic. And that anybody would fight against something that would bring attention to something that needs to be stopped. Think about how many movies have messages in them. Think about how many times you've gone to a movie only to for have them push the message about the environment or about um, hunting. Uh, somebody in a video I watched brought up Bambi and how hunters were portrayed to be evil. Um, but m most movies coming out of Hollywood have their agenda of what they're trying to push. And they're dramatizing things to do the exact same thing. But I'll tell you what really got me interested was Isaiah 5, uh, 20, which I'm going to put on the screen here for you now, says, Woe to those who call evil good, who call, yeah, evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. So we live in a time when a movie comes out that shines light on something happening to children and it's called evil. And this is just like everything else we're seeing in our day. This passage is so true for today. Um, when, whether it's, we're talking about homosexuality, which the Bible does not affirm. Uh, when we talk about, um, we talk about progressive Christianity, which call scripture not inspired by God and not inerrant, which um, says that the Bible is inspired the way a magazine article is inspired and that there's a lot of evil. The, the uh, progressive Christianity will talk about there being evil in the Bible, things that are evil in the Bible. They're calling good evil and what is evil, they're turning around and calling good. Uh, we see this with what, what's happening among the transgender today that are, are pushing trying to have um, operations and uh, to, to sex change operations um, to be to take uh, some kind of uh, puberty blocker for kids and again calling evil what is good and good what is evil and we're living in that time but here's God's warning to it I'll put it back here again woe to those now woe is not a word we use very much today but it means it's not good and the, the further our culture swings away from God and trying to use the Bible as its source for morality, uh, the Bible is talked about, again, as being evil, as being bad. Um, I heard someone attack the inerrancy of Scripture not long ago, as if when we talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, we're, trying to, we're, we're saying that all of the manuscripts have never had an error in it at all. So when a theologian or a pastor talks about inerrancy in the Bible, he's not talking about no errors in the King James Version or no errors in the NIV. He's talking about that the truths that the Bible teaches are inerrant. We know that there's 5,000 manuscripts and they differ from one another. And you've got to compare and contrast manuscripts. Uh, um, manuscript uh, manuscript evidence or those who work with manuscripts, they, they do that not only, they do it with Aristotle, they do it with everybody to get back to the original meaning. And when you think about it, it protects what the scriptures say. Because all these copies went out early and all these copies were made that went to all different parts of the world. Now if somebody wants to change the Bible, they have to change all of the copies that have been made rather than just changing one. If we had the original somewhere that was held by someone, they could say and claim that it says something else. But if you have all of these copies, you compare and contrast the different copies with one another. And we have, well, what, what Psalms 12 says, that God has preserved his word from generation to generation. So I just think of the world that we're living in, and this is just another example of somebody calling good evil and evil good. Uh, somebody turning things around for us again. And um, I do believe that we are that we need to make stands when it comes to these cultural issues. Uh, I think when we're talking about the unborn child and how that is um, that is called good today, when it's something that is evil, uh, we we could just keep on going down the list. Um, but um, I would encourage you. I mean, I didn't want to go to the movie because of the topic, and I think a lot of people are, are that way. Um, but there is a reason that they don't want you to see the movie. 
and the movie is good. The movie just has a it's it's a plot. It's a rescue of two children. That's basically what the movie's about. Which how could that ever be a bad thing? And so you, you just wonder. I also think of of Maxwell Epstein and Maxwell who got arrested and jailed. And as far as I know it, not one man was arrested or jailed for having sex with the girls that Maxwell was imprisoned for, for prostituting. So you just wonder. I mean, it, makes, it does make you stop and wonder. And people wonder why conspiracy theories go crazy because there's, these things are really happening. Uh, Epstein dies in a cell from suicide. When, when he was involved in things exactly like what this movie are about, um, the movie doesn't doesn't push um, billionaires being involved in this. In fact, a billionaire is one of the is one of the heroes within the movie, not not one of the the villains. So I look at it and I go, um, you know, the old saying, "Thou dost protest too much," and maybe the mainstream media should start looking at how they look when they are involved in something. When they, when they put down something like this, when you can go and see it and see that it's not bad, what is it about it that they didn't, that they didn't like? So um, there's my thoughts on uh, Sound of Freedom. Uh, it's PG-13. Uh, it's a hard movie to watch. I'm not saying it's not, um, but they are not doing anything in the movie that would be untoward with children, just so you know and understand. All right, I, I do recommend seeing the movie. I think it's um, it's moving and helps us to understand that there is a lot of wickedness in our world today that people turn around and call, when something good is done, they call it evil. And when it's evil, they end up calling it good. And woe to those who do that. All right, so, um, oh, I wanted to, let me see if, um, um, Okay, um, let's, let's just go to questions. Um, so our first question today is from Walter. Uh, Walter uh, says, question, the DOJ also removed the information about child sex trafficking recently. With all the demonic deception, I think this problem is way worse than any of us realize. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, um, I, wanted, to find a, I wanted to find a good source. So there are a lot of things that you hear um, I think that that conspiracy theories have been a problem. So there's a lot of things that you hear. So I always want to go back to a good source. That's why I read from the Rolling Stones article because it's someone that you know, that you know that's what they're saying. Um, and uh, I looked for this. I wasn't able to find a good source. I see it everywhere. Um, and um, uh, here's... I mean, here's the thought. The thought is that having open borders helps child trafficking. And it makes Biden's administration look bad. And so they take down the numbers because the numbers are increasing. And maybe that's as simple as why CNN has gone the route that they have in really attacking this. Maybe they're just trying to back their guy who's in the White House. And if things are getting worse, and if what his if his policy of an open border has made it worse, then maybe maybe that's really what it's about. And maybe the DOJ removed it for that reason because you know they got an election coming up. And they got to they got to win this election, and so they end up removing it. But are you willing? If that's the case, are you willing to? sacrifice children to be able to win an election? And maybe I, I shouldn't ask that question, but I think that's horrible if that is the case. Um, if you want to try to, if you want to, you want to try to take, look, if, if they were trying to speak against this movie because they thought they could cause people to not see it, it did the exact opposite. They should have just been quiet about it. They should have just had a little statement that says, you know, sound of freedom uh, breaks box office records. They would have many more people who wouldn't want to go and who wouldn't be digging further into this topic to find out, is it really true that there are this many slaves in the world today? Um, the statement at the end of the movie, there are more slaves in the world today than at any other time, is, as far as I can tell, a true statement. 
I went to look that up. I thought, well, that's an interesting statement. There were four million slaves in America in antebellum slavery when slavery was abolished. Um, by, by America, by the way. Slavery was abolished in the United States by the government of the United States. And in France before that, and in England before that. And England was the first one to abolish it. And the abolishment movement was by most of the Christians. It was Christians who were pushing forward the movement. But they we recognize when something is wrong and we get on board. Now, I know the slave owners were using the Bible to try to manipulate and twist passages. And we know that people will always do that. People are doing that today. We know they'll always do it. But the, the, the heart of the movement to abolish slavery was Christianity. Just like the heart of the movement to save the unborn is Christianity. We are on the right side of the arguments because things are moral to us. They are right or wrong. And uh, we don't believe in relative truth. Um, I like what uh, Frank Turek says. You know, when someone says to you, truth is relative, you answer that with, is that true? If truth is relative, then you're making a truth statement. Is that true? And we don't believe that as Christians. We believe there's right and wrong. And so we, we have a tendency to be on the right side of the issue um, I think the majority of the time, although we will be called evil. We are wanting to help people in the world. Uh, Christian Christians are more, um, more compassionate, have done more for the, the, the people that are struggling throughout the centuries. But the few abuses that there have been, for example, I heard someone talking about the Inquisition and I was thinking about Stalin and Mussolini, uh, Pol Pot, um, hundreds of millions of, of people killed under communism, which is atheistic, by the way, atheistic communism. Hundreds of millions of people killed. So then I heard them talking negatively about the Inquisition, and the Inquisition was horrible. It went on for a few hundred years, and um, it was done by Christians in the name of so-called Christians. I don't think they were genuine Christians. I don't think genuine Christians would really do that. They were protecting their position and their power. To them, it was a political position. Nevertheless, it was awful. But I looked it up, and there were 150,000 who were killed during the Inquisition. Nothing. That's horrible. That's 150,000 people. But nothing compared to what Stalin did or Hitler did. Uh, and the number of Christians that had been killed in China, um, North Korea, in, um, by, in, in Russia, uh, in, in communist countries. The number of people who are Christians that have been killed is an outstanding number. We are covering today in our service tonight the martyr, the first martyr, Stephen. And we see the way that he goes to his death. And he is an example of literally millions who will follow in his footsteps and who will die for their faith. And it's happening all over the world today. It's happening in Nigeria. It's happening in um, Afghanistan. It's happening all over the world that Christians are being killed. Also, there's a huge movement, evangelical movement, that's happening in Iran. And these Christians are, are, are becoming Christians knowing that their life is going to be at stake. So, I realize I got way off board on your question there, Walter. Um, but, um, yeah, 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 you wonder why, why would they do such a thing? Why would they at this time when they could seize on having attention, getting the funding that they need, getting private parties to step up and help? Because I guarantee you that people would. So if you have, and there are organizations that do help children. And if you bring awareness to it and you tell people, look for, $50 a month, you can help save children from trafficking. I can guarantee you the amount of money that would come in to be able to do that. Or the people that, that have money, billionaires, would get involved to be able to save children as well because that's in the heart of, of, of God to be able to, to, to save children. So anyway, let's go on. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll have more questions about it. Um, so Jari says... Could it be someone will be um, head of a global community, then get shot, then the Antichrist takes his place, the beast that was, is not yet is, instead of the Antichrist getting wounded? Um, that's not my understanding, Jari. 
as I take, as I, as I read through the passages which talk about the Antichrist in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, uh, and also in First um, and Second Thessalonians, which talks about the Antichrist as well, that he is, he is shot in his mortal wound to see on one of the heads. So the seven heads of the, of the beast that have, it's, it's got things that are like a leopard and like a bear, um, and then the, this beast uh, and horns, two horns like a goat, or, 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 or like a goat, and the seven heads represent seven world powers. He is the seventh and is also the eighth. The world powers are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, the Greece Empire, the Roman Empire, which was the last world power, so there's six. And when John wrote the book of Revelation, he said five have been, one is, and one will be, and the seventh is also the eighth, or the eighth is, is also of the seven, the beast who was, is not, and is again. So this is a fatal wound that's healed, and that's what the Bible says. Um, I don't know how you could take that any other way. I don't know, you know, when you're talking about this fatal wound is healed, what happens? The entire world starts to worship him, and the, the false prophet comes along his side and gets people to worship him. And he becomes the head of this new world religion, which Babylon, which is an economic city and a religious city, is destroyed by the Antichrist. And I think this happens about the same time that the Antichrist is being worshipped. So um, he demolishes all the old system of Babylon, which is astrology. We read this this last Wednesday night. You can go back to this two studies we've done on Babylon so far. Astrology, um, um, monthly pronosticators, uh, the different kind of things that are listed that Babylon did from their youth. And they built that tower to get up to the heavens and the stars. So, yeah, I don't think so, Jari. I think it's the Antichrist, okay? Um, so we have a question from OB. OB says, question, according to the word, it appears that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Yep, and um, I will, let me just go to um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is the quintessential passage you go to for this. And um, I'm just going to read this before we get the rest of your question here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works. Now, right there it is. So it lays out salvation. We are, for by grace you have been saved. It's the grace of God. That's undeserved favor, not uh, through faith. That's by trusting in him. So the Bible tells us that God predestines the faithful, those who have faith in Christ. It tells us in Romans 9 that God chooses the vessels based on whether or not they, are, they, they have faith, whether or not they believe. So it's through faith, not of yourself. So having faith is not, um, having faith is not some kind of a, of a, of a work that I had enough faith to believe in Jesus and you didn't. Having faith is I trust him. I can't trust myself. It's the opposite of that. Uh, it, it is not meritorious. It is you saying, I can't trust myself. I need to trust in God. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we can see that if it was a works, no one would boast. For we are his workmanship created for Jesus in good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So works are a part of the Christian life, and we are going to do works. I'm going to get to the rest of your question in a minute here, Obi. Uh, we are going to do works, but the works follow salvation. And works become evidence that we have a real faith with Christ. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. But we love him when we commit ourselves to him by faith, and then the works follow, okay? So let's look at the rest of your question here. Uh, so, um, saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But of course, many other Christians, particularly Pentecostals, want to add that faith without works is dead, which is a true statement as well, and this comes from the book of James. Is our salvation truly dependent on faith alone or finished the finished work of Jesus on the cross? Yes, obi it is. So James was fighting a different enemy than Paul. Paul was fighting legalism. People saying, you've got to do this in order to be saved. James was fighting people who were saying, I'm a Christian, I don't need to do anything. I'm a Christian, uh, like we might fight it, we find today. Um, I will find people today who say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but they're not living for him. They're not doing anything for him. There's no evidence, there's no fruit in their lives that they're actually living for him. So the Bible says, if you say you love him and you don't keep his commandments, then you're lying. 
That's not saying that's works for salvation. It's saying when you really make a commitment to him, then you change. And part of changing is you want to do what he says. Suddenly you want to do the things he said. And so works follow salvation. So faith without works is dead. Because, but, but faith without works is dead. It isn't works without faith is dead, and that's true too, but it doesn't put the works in front. It's not, it, that's getting the cart before the horse. It's not works, and then comes faith and salvation. It's faith, and then salvation, and then works. Show me your faith by, well, without your works, he said, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So right there tells you who his enemy is. His enemy is a person that doesn't have works. Show me your faith without works. So that was the person he was fighting against. Paul was fighting against the legalists who were saying, you got to keep the law in order to be saved. Those people are still around today, by the way. There's a lot of groups who teach that you got to, you know, keep the law in order to be saved. And, and all of us are, you know, that we're Babylon or we're, or, or we're uh, false teachers because we're teaching salvation by grace. So it's a different, um, it's a different enemy that was being fought. Paul, the legalist, and John, those who were saying, I have faith, but I don't have any works. It's okay for me not to be doing what God wants me to do. It'd be like someone today saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And James would say, show me your work without your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And, and Paul would say, when, when, a, when, a, when somebody say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to do what God wants me to do, then Paul would say, should we continue in sin that grace might abound? May it never be. How do, uh, that, that we were once a slave to sin, but we've been freed from it. So the Bible is very consistent in what it says. As I said, one battling one, uh, the other battling another. All right. So um, we have another question from Kimberly. Um, Kimberly. Kimberly says, not Kimberly, Kimberly. Kimberly says, Epstein is still going strong. Um, brain mapping kids all over world. Um, redacted channel on May 13th of Whitney. Um, just draw dropping miss a beat and now um u.s virgin island scary so i'm not sure yeah so oh yeah you're just making a statement you were just making a statement there i was like where's the question that's because she didn't put question in front of it all right um we have a question from steven steven says um how do you reconcile the bible verse that speaks of slavery i'm not sure if just i just if i just don't know about the context or if it's not important due to being in the Old Testament. No, it is important. So all scripture is important, but it is important to have it in its context. And so the context of the Old Testament was a law that was given to oversee Israel, why they were in the land, while the Messiah, the 12 tribes would end up producing the Messiah, which would eventually be Jesus. I'm gonna drop this down. I can still see, I can still see your question here. Um, so the context of the law was that, but he had to give them a, a law for the world that they were living in. It's not the only law that there is. There was the law of Habarami, which was a few hundred years before the law of Moses. And Moses was aware of the, of the law of Habarami from, um, from Babylon. He was brought up in all the knowledge of Egypt, and Egypt was aware of those laws. There were other laws that were around them. And so we can compare what the Bible says about slavery to these other laws. For example, Stephen, did you know that the Bible says that if a man is found kidnapping someone or with a kidnapped person in his, in his property, then he should be put to death. So it's a capital offense to kidnap and have someone kidnapped. That would stop trafficking. It would stop, or the majority of it, because there could be someone who's not kidnapped who's being trafficked. But it would stop most trafficking and it would stop slavery. Antebellum slavery, uh, which was the kidnapping of people and then having kidnapped people in your possession, would have been outlawed by the law. So in their day, there was, there was, no, there was no prison. So when you offended someone, you owed them a debt. If you couldn't pay the debt, then you became a slave to them. This was the way for them to pay back their debts. There were also a bunch of laws outlining slavery in the way you treated someone who was a slave. They were more of an indentured servant to you because they owed you a debt that they were working off. And you had to treat that person in a right way. And it talks about the way to treat them. And when you compare what the Bible says 
about those who were indentured servants compared to what the other law said, it's amazing. Now, um, where you can find out more information about this is the book, uh, Is God a Moral Monster? by Paul Copan. And you don't have to read the entire book to get the gist of it. He's got a section on slavery uh, that will really help you with understanding what the Bible has to say that is really protecting people. Because, look, there's been slavery in the world all the way back in, in history. As far back as we have history, as far back as we can look, there have been slaves in the world. In Egypt, in Syria, in Babylon, these all had slaves. And so slavery was a part of the world that they were in. Now, God made concessions in the law. He allowed them to divorce because of the hardness of their heart. He allowed them to have a king, even though he didn't want them to have a king, and even gave them direction in the law of how what kings were supposed to do so that they could be the best king that they could be. God didn't want there to be a king. So to say God wanted slavery because God regulates slavery is not true. They're living in a world. The same thing is true with polygamy. You got polygamy in the Bible, but everywhere it's at, it's horrible. The, what happens with everybody that has more than one wife is just awful. So there's this concession that allowed it, but it didn't mean it was good, and it didn't mean God wanted it. And um, someone brought up Stephen recently, what does that mean? The Bible says God never changes. So he was bending to culture. No, he was working with people in a culture and giving them direction. He was bringing us to the New Testament to finally the teachings of Jesus on how he wants us to live and what he wants us to do. But he wasn't there yet. He was bringing people out of slavery into the land of Canaan in a world around them that was hostile, that was warlike. They were driving people out of the land and they were going to be taking captives and they were going to have servants. They needed to know how to deal with those. And what the Bible says is far greater than anything that any of the other laws. There's Assyrian laws, there's the laws of Hammurabi, um, there is, there's a couple more um, laws that are out there that have some similar stuff to the law, uh, to the law of Moses. It's like I said, Moses knew these other laws. When you read the, the book of Exodus, I think you get to 21 uh, and 20, 2021, 20, maybe 19, 20, 21 of Exodus, you get a list of these laws, and a lot of these laws are addressed in the law of Hammurabi as well, but they're different, and that's what's important. All the laws in the Bible that deal with the same issues are so much more compassionate and look to protect women and look to protect slaves, which when you think about the date that we're talking about, we're talking about 30, the law given, um, 3,400 years ago, between 32 and 3,400 years, depending on when you think the Exodus was, and you've got the law protecting women and protecting slaves in a culture that is anti that that doesn't protect women and doesn't protect slaves. The Bible was way ahead of its day, and I think that's really important for us to understand. They want to make it look bad because they can find things about slavery in, in that are in the Bible, but what they're thinking about slavery isn't even true anyway because they just have such different ideas about slavery as if antebellum slavery was the only slavery that was going on in the world in, in, uh, when it was, and it just wasn't. Um, and again, abolitionists were the ones that saw that it was wrong and came to the place of where if you look at what Jesus says to do, the, the kind of person you're supposed to be, then you would not be a slave owner. And if by chance you were living in a culture that had servants, then you would have been fair and kind to those who were with you if you were living in that culture. Because to think that Christianity is just a culture for us and not a culture for the entire world. Remember, these things were given so that Christ could come and bless all nations. And so it's, it's really being used, not just in American culture, and we see the Bible often as being so American, but it's not. It's, it was given for all the different cultures that were out there. All right? So thank you for your question, uh, Stephen. Um, if you have follow-up on that, we can talk more about it if I didn't cover the, the questions you want. And if you have a particular verse you want to talk about, I'd love to talk about it. All right? 
So Matt Grossman says, question, I was going to see the movie, but saw it was by Angel Studios. Don't you think the Mormons continue uh, to Trojan horse Christians? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I had said this about The Chosen, so the, the reference to the Trojan, Trojan horse, because Dale Eaves, I think is his name, is a majority holder in The Chosen, and he's Mormon. And Angel Studios is a Mormon studio. Um, uh, and it's being, it's being called faith-based. Uh, and I don't know all of, I don't know all of the ownership in Angel Studios. Uh, yeah, I'm concerned about it. I certainly am. I'm concerned that they will put, they're putting out content and then they're going to start, you know, trying to do what they're, they're saying now. So when Joseph Smith created Mormonism, he said Christianity is an abomination and we're going to do it right. Now Mormonism wants to say, we're just Christians. We're just Christians. So you can't have it both ways. They're trying to rewrite history. They don't want to be called Mormons anymore, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, they want to just be another Christian group because they realized that attacking Christians as uh, anathema wasn't going, to, wasn't going to cut it. However, we know that Jesus and the, the Father are not the same. The Father was a human on another planet, progressed to become God to get his own planet. And you can become God and have your own planet as well. Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer and everybody else, they just were two exceptional spirit brothers. One became evil and one became good. And um, Jesus did progress to Godhead. So they'll say to you, we believe in Jesus as our savior. We believe we're forgiven by our sins of Jesus dying on the cross. We, but they don't tell you all the other stuff that they don't believe. So yes. I am concerned about it. I hope, I do hope I'm wrong. And I think I said that back then. I'm not hoping I'm right about The Chosen. Now, as a pastor, I can't watch The Chosen. I, I, I teach through these passages. And then to see them doing things like putting up a backdrop, like a stage for the Sermon on the Mount, handing out flyers, Matthew giving Jesus uh, advice on how to to give the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus practicing the Sermon on the Mount. Like I said, going out and handing out flyers, Jesus is going to be speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. Like, like this didn't... I, that drives me crazy. I'll give you another example. Uh, the interaction in The Chosen, and I did see this part, with Nicodemus was fantastic. Nicodemus comes at night, they have the interaction together, it's powerful, you must be born again. Um, it's really good. But then Jesus says, you can follow me. We're going to be at this place, and you can follow me if you want to. You can be my, one of my followers. So then Jesus shows up, and Nicodemus is there hiding, and Jesus is looking for him, and then Nicodemus leaves, or, or they leave, and Nicodemus is still there, like all like, oh, I should have gone with him, but I didn't. Okay. So I'm talking to a buddy who's not a Christian, and um, um, we meet somebody whose name is Nicodemus. And he says to me, oh, Nicodemus, that's the, that's the disciple that Jesus invited who did become a disciple. And I said, no, that's the chosen. That's not in the Bible. So here they have a guy who doesn't know anything about God's word. And he is being exposed to something that is not biblical, thinking he's learning something about God's word. That's the danger. That's what drives me crazy. The Bible has so many good things in it. And if you want to tell it from the perspective of other people, I understand artistic license, but have them doing, don't, don't have them doing major things that are not in the word of God. Yeah, have interaction, make up conversations. Just don't make up important conversations. Just don't make up things that never happened, like Nicodemus being invited to be one of the 12 disciples. So those are the kind of things. So. I hope I'm wrong. I am concerned that the Mormons are using Angel Studios and The Chosen as a Trojan horse, Matt. I really am. So um, I hope that's not the case. Um, but we will, uh, I guess we'll see, right? So we have a question from Matthew. Matthew, good to see you. Matthew says, question, um, er, um, evening, Pastor Robert. I have to admit human trafficking is a sore spot for me because of a family member of mine involved in it. Advice? Oh, man. Um, Matthew, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm, I can still see your uh, your question, Matthew. Um, 
I'm sorry to hear that. Um, what a what a hard thing. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I don't want to sound trite. So, any advice? I mean, it's not. The Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And prayer is not trite. So when I say, listen, you've got to pray for them. Prayer changes destinies. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And I would say fast and pray for them. Uh, grieve for the, the position that they're in. And fast. Say, I'm not going to eat anything for two days. You can fast in a few different ways. You can say, I'm only going to drink water. You can just eat bread and water. Fast, pleasant food. We find that in the Bible, in the book of Daniel. Um, so you can fast and say, like you were grieving. When you're grieving, you aren't hungry. You don't eat. And so let something strike you. And I think that's what Jesus meant. Well, yeah. Um, but let something strike you so that you're fasting and praying for that family member. And look for opportunities to be able to talk to them. And I don't know how, how well off you are, Matthew, financially. I don't know where you can go to try to get help, um, but maybe try to be an advocate for her and go to her and say, how can I help you? And if I can get you a place to stay, if I can get you out of this lifestyle, um, fast, pray, talk to them, try to be an advocate, open the doors to be able to share, share Christ. And remember, you want to plant seeds, water seeds, and God adds the increase. So look for ways to be able to, um, to help. All right. So that's my advice. And, um, I'm, I, I, I do think it's profound. I don't think it's trite. I realize that when you when someone asks, how can I help? And you say, pray for them. It sounds trite, but it's not because prayer really does change things and really does help people. So, um, maybe this is something that would stir you up to be able to reach out and help them. It also might be something you can get involved with to be able to help others because you've got someone that you know that is involved in it. In it. All right. So, um, we have a follow-up from Jari. Thank you for your question. Matthew, I appreciate it. Um, we have a question from Jari. Follow-up, do you think some conspiracy theories are true? Also, who should we stand with? Both political parties are being crazy right now. Even people praying to the president and candidates. Yeah. So, let me just take your questions one at a time here. Um, are some conspiracy theories true? Well, they've certainly been proven to be true over time. Certain ones have. So, yeah, just because it's labeled a conspiracy theory, it can be a, a tool of the opposition, right? They can say that's a conspiracy theory when it's actually a reality. And then conspiracy, like, for example, the theaters not starting the movie or air conditioning going out or people coming in saying you've got to leave, which they've got a bunch of video of these, and then me going to the theater in The Sound of Freedom and having it not start and for 15 minutes nobody says anything. Nobody comes in and tells us anything. We're just all sitting there looking at each other like, what's going on here? And then you read on there the conspiracy theory that, that movie theaters are uh, trying to get people to not be able to watch the, the show. It's like, but you guys are telling people they can't watch it, refunding their money, not starting the movie. I know that from personal experience. Now maybe it's just a weird thing. But yeah, I do think conspiracy theories can be true, but that doesn't mean that all conspiracy theories are true, okay? The earth's not flat, right? So you can't say cons some conspiracy theories are true, therefore there are no conspiracy theories. Um, and then um, who should we stand with? We stand with those who have our values. That's who we stand with. We, we vote for the candidate that is for life. We vote for the candidate who wants to, to close down the borders so that people can't take children over the borders or drugs can't come in and kill our young people off like uh, the way that they're doing with fentanyl. Uh, you vote for the people that have our interests in mind. We can be political as individuals without being political as a church. And we, we don't want the church to turn into an arm of a political party. That is bad. And I, I do know, I've, I've got friends who do it, that their church is, is political and that's what they do. 
And I think it's bad because the gospel is so much more powerful and sets people free for all of eternity. But that doesn't mean, and I say it every every four years when the cycle comes around, people get upset at us because we're not being super political from the pulpit. Uh, I'll tell people, look, vote and vote for the ones that you feel strongly about. And and who do we stand with? And Jari, it doesn't take a it doesn't take a brain surgeon to feel out to figure out which one of the parties represents Christianity better. Right? So we have a question from Rakaya. Rakaya, good to see you. Rakaya says, Hi, Pastor. The friend I mentioned not wanting to be called a Christian seems to have been a false convert. No fruit, um, no change from what I can see. Um, what can I do to try to help her? Thanks, Rakaya. I appreciate that. Um, First of all, I think you should stay in touch with her. I think you should be a friend. Um, the Bible says that we are to be gentle and kind as we interact with people that are in opposition, or in this case, someone who believes differently. Um, years ago, there was a book written called Friendship, um, I think it was Friendship Evangelism. And the idea was you go out and you make friends with people to evangelize them, and you can only have so many friends. So. When someone doesn't get saved, then you got to kind of cut that person loose. And when someone gets saved, you got to kind of cut them loose as well because you can only go out and do so many people, have so many friends. And I think that that is disingenuine. I think we make friends with people we make friends with for life. And we evangelize where we can evangelize because that's what we can do. As, 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 as people, we can only do as much as we can do. Some people like Greg Laurie or Billy Graham can evangelize far more people. Some people just need to evangelize people around them. Look for the opportunities for God to open doors. God's got works for you to walk in. And so stay as a friend to, to her and um, bring, her, bring her what the truth is. And um, maybe she was interested. I, I can't remember why she didn't want to be called a Christian. Um, I'm trying to remember that now, Rakaya, sorry. But um, yeah, stay, stay friends with her. Um, again, it's not trite to say pray for her because God answers prayers. And um, you, can't have, you can't have a prayer answered until you've actually prayed for it. Faith believes and prays. The Bible says that Jesus couldn't do many miracles in Nazareth because they didn't believe. It's not that they brought people to him and he tried to heal them and couldn't, they didn't bring people to him. And so when we don't pray about something, then we, we're just not believing. And we aren't going to have this great testimony of God answering prayers without really praying for them. So, and, and Rakai, you may be praying for them, and I'm not saying by saying pray for her that you're not. Pray for her, um, maybe fast for her, uh, look to be able to share Christ and be her friend. All right? So thank you. I appreciate your question uh, today. So, um, if you're uh, here with us for the first time, uh, really good to have you here. Uh, we, this is a Q&A. You can ask your questions through the comment section. Um, we answer any questions about the current culture, about prophecy, about the Bible, and everything comes back through the scriptures for us. So, we're looking through the lens of scripture to be able to look at these things. So, Henry has a question. Uh, Henry says, Satan cannot actually believe he will win the tribulation, does he? Does he not know he is um, he is fully uh, falling? He is fall, uh, fulfilling oh, fulfilling the tribulation prophecy. How does this work, or is that not for us to know? Thanks, Henry. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think Satan knows that his days are numbered. The Bible says that. When, he's, when there's the war in heaven, and I think it's during the tribulation period, this is the book of Revelation, that there's a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fights against the dragon and his angels. It's around uh, Revelation 10 or 11, uh, maybe maybe 13. We've got the Antichrist there as well. you got the woman in chapter 12 and the dragon that wants to fight against the offspring. But anyway, there's a war in heaven, and Satan is cast down to the earth and says he comes down with great fury because he knows, time, he knows his time is short. So I think what Satan is doing, he's got this freedom right now, and he's going to push off as far as he can. And I think that's what he's doing. His character is evil. He wants to destroy people. Um, you think about people who are evil. You think about a serial killer. Um, you think about you know, someone who's just doing evil things. 
that's Satan. He wants to do him. He's not a, he's not you thinking like you. He is thinking like someone who's evil thinks. And we try to figure that out. We go, well, this is not what I would do, but you're not Satan. I'm really glad, by the way, Henry, that you're not the devil. So the enemy thinks differently than we think. And I think that's really important to understand. Um, I think he knows the Bible better than we do. I think he knows what's coming better, better than we do. And I think his plan has been exposed and he just thinks he's going to be able to make it through the plan. Um, the Old Testament had a lot of prophecies about the crucifixion. I'm not sure he really understood how it was all going to happen, but it all came to pass. You would think by this point he would be going, oh, that's how it all works. Um, we have a question from Yadet. Or is it, yeah. Yeah, if I butchered your name, I'm sorry. All right, question. In the book of Matthew, Jesus, uh, Jesus' genealogy is Joseph's family, but Joseph obviously wasn't in his biblical, his, his um, but Joseph wasn't his biological mother. Okay, so why? Why do we have Joe? Okay, and are these people who are actually be related to Jesus by Mary? So, yeah, Mary and Joseph share a lineage. If, if we're getting Mary's in Luke genealogy and Matthew's in, uh, and um, Joseph's in Matthew, then there comes a point where they share, that, you know, where they break away and they have a certain point. It's back in the times of the kings that they have the same ancestry. Like all Jews have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their, as their descendant. All, all those who are Jewish by blood have them as their descendant. So there's going to be something that's in common there. Um, I think that we're getting the line of Joseph because Matthew was written to, to a Jewish crowd. And as you begin reading the book of Matthew, you begin seeing things like, as it had been written, as it had been written, as it had been written. So it's showing that he fulfilled prophecy and that he fulfilled scripture in the Old Testament. And that's all the way through. Now, Luke is different. It's written to a different audience. John is written to a different audience. Mark is written to a different audience. But Matthew was written to the Jewish mindset. And for them to have the genealogy of Joseph, that God chose Joseph to be the human father of Jesus, was important to them. And that this, this meant Joseph had, was a lineage to the, the, the throne was important. And that Mary also had a lineage that came back from the throne. And, and those two things were important. Might not be important to us, but also in this lineage that we find of Joseph in Matthew, that we have Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. We have um, Ruth, a Moabitess. Um, we have, you have these people that are mentioned there, which are, it's amazing that God, of God's grace. You get such a good picture of God's grace. And so as a pastor, I'm really glad that passage is there because teaching through that genealogy is one of the, one of the, it's, it's probably, it's my favorite genealogy to teach through because there's so many good things that are in it. But it was showing that Joseph fulfilled that role, even though Mary would had, was um, conceived by the Holy Spirit, supernaturally conceiving Jesus inside of her womb. And it was her lineage that came to Jesus. Um, and that, that went back as well. Um, there's also something interesting there. I think it's Jehoiachin or Jehoiakin that is cursed and he's in Joseph's lineage, but he's not in Mary's. So there's something, something real interesting there for you to go and look up if you're interested in looking that up, um, which is really interesting. All right. Um, so uh, we have a question from Empress Kimberly. Hypothetical? Sorry. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's see here. Hypothetical question. We all know we are in chat together, learning from each other. And when we get to heaven, can't wait to meet everyone in person. Um, learning from each other when we get to heaven. Yeah. Um, I, I've said before that I really like this community. I like the community that's been, been developed here. The interaction that we've got with one another. Um, I would love for us at some point uh, to uh, do something at the church. Those of you that live in other places, maybe fly in for a weekend service and we have a, a dinner together on Friday night, get to know people that we've been talking to in person. Um, and I love that we can interact in the community. I love that we can push back, that you guys could go, I don't know what you're saying here, whether or not that's right. I think pushback is good. I've always said, I, I never mind getting pushback from somebody. 
So um, we have a, thank you, uh, Kimberly. Uh, we have another question uh, that says, um, Walter says, uh, qu um, question, Angel Studios didn't make the movie. Uh, they just marketed it. Disney uh, had it, but didn't want to release it. Um, who is more godly? <laughs> well, okay, certainly not the Mormons, and certainly not Hollywood. So that's like saying, um, who's more American? Um, Afghanistan or uh, Iraq? They're, they're both ungodly. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're just ungodly in radically different ways. Um, yeah, why the movie was squashed in the beginning and who made it, I can't remember who made it, but the main movie was made five years ago and um, then Disney got the rights and I think they did something legal to be able to get the movie to be able to show it. I think there was a legal action that went along with it, if I'm remembering right with what I've read. So, yeah, I don't think you can take the Mormons and, and Disney and call either one of them godly. One of them is a complete uh, heresy, which is a work of the flesh, and the other one is a worldly entity trying to push its the, the world's agenda. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and maybe even being guilty of trying to contaminate children with um, sexuality early. So, both bad. Both Mormonism and Disneyland, uh, and Disney, um, bad. Both bad. Alright, um, so we have a question from Matthew. Our second question, Matthew. Um, I should ask on biblical context on dealing with bad situation, my bad. Um, I should have asked on bib. Okay, yeah, no problem. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate that. Let's see what time is it. We've got uh, three more minutes. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, really glad that you're here. Uh, we do this every Saturday and Wednesday. Uh, this is a podcast, and you can download our podcast wherever you download your podcast at. Uh, we have our full-length teachings. We have shorter, hot topics um, where we deal with issues um, that are on a shorter level. They're more, they hit, they hit a little bit harder than a longer teaching does. Um, and then we have our Q&As that you can listen to. And you can go back and you can listen to them for as long back, as far as far back as they go. So um, look up uh, Truth Quest podcast with Robert Furrow. You'll be able to find that. Uh, we also have another podcast for the church. Uh, also, we have an app and we have uh, for the church and we have a radio station, Reach Radio, and an app for that as well. There's an app for that. Okay. So I'm just going through here to see if we have any more questions. Um, so yeah, so um, how, however you say your name, Yvette, I'm going to try with that one. Um, will we know the people who don't make it into heaven when we get there? Um, I think so. So some people will say, look, we're going to have our memories wiped in heaven because if we remember all the people that are down here that are, that are in hell, there's no way I can be happy. I'm going to be sad. Well, first of all, hell probably isn't what you think it is. And uh, I know that's a, a provocative statement, but it really is true. And something I say with two minutes left in the, um, in the comment section. But look, the Bible uses destroyed and perish and fire and worm all as analogies. You have a statement in the book of Revelation, the smoke of the fire of Babylon goes up forever and ever. In Jeremiah, the smoke of the fire of Edom goes up forever and ever. The smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever. I'm not saying that I believe in um, annihilationism. The Bible says some will be beaten with few stripes and some will be beaten with many. There is darkness and there is gnashing of teeth but it doesn't say that everyone has the same gnashing of teeth. And I like, you know, C.S. Lewis did a lot of writing on hell. And um, C.S. Lewis said, no one's gonna be there who doesn't wanna be there. They won't wanna be in heaven. And they will hate God. And they will be separated from him. But they will be punished for the deeds that they've done by a just God. And we will know that there is fairness and justice. 
and those that believe in annihilationism, which I do think is a possibility, and that right there is going to get me in trouble because people are usually very, very, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's hell that burns forever and ever. Um, it's, it's still a Christian position. Now, I know the, the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah Witnesses teach annihilationism, but they also teach other things that we believe that are true. So, um, Dr. Um, Michael Brown well, talks about annihilationism. I think there's some other people who do, and I'm not saying that I believe that because I don't, but what I do believe is that hell is not what we think it is, Dante's Inferno kind of a thing, someone having their skin filleted forever and ever. Um, and we're going to talk about that here pretty soon. Um, I'm out of time, so I'm going to leave you with that one there, all right? But it is good to see you guys. Good to have you join us. Good to have you guys here um, that have joined us for the first time. Go and see um, A Sound of Freedom if you, if you want to. Um, it's a tough subject matter. Um, the movie does a good job of handling a very difficult subject matter. Uh, it is not graphic in any way um, towards that particular topic, okay? Just so you know, um, I was, um, it wasn't like a joyful movie for me to go see, but I'm really glad that I saw it, especially with all the hubbub that's out there. So we've got a service in about an hour. It is on Matthew chapter seven. We have the very first martyr of the church. We're gonna be talking about what's going on in the world today when it comes to martyrs. Uh, he led the way in his glorious death, and it was a glorious death, and um, we're gonna talk about that tonight, and we're gonna see some surprising things that happen um, when he dies and how that that results in something else that happens that's really powerful. So um, the East Campus here in Tucson at six o'clock, the West Campus, no, no West Campus tonight, Saturday, uh, tomorrow morning, um, West Campus, 8.30 and 11, uh, 9.45 at the East Campus. Um, and um, I'll be at both campuses teaching uh, the, the same message, by the way, tonight and tomorrow. Now you can catch, um, at, you can download our app and you can watch it live. Um, from our app. You can go to CalvaryTucson.com. You can watch it live. Uh, you can go to YouTube. We have it on YouTube live, Facebook live. Um, I think um, I, I think that's um, Roku, um, Apple TV, all of those things. You can go on and you can watch them live. All right. So God bless you guys. Listen, stay close to Jesus. Remember that if you delight in the world, you're going to desire the things of the world. If you delight in the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. As you delight in God, you begin desiring the things that God wants and will give you those things. So delight in the Lord that he may give you the desires of your heart. God bless you. Love you guys. I'm out. Uh, we'll see you uh, here in about an hour for our study out of the book of Luke.